If you're interested in furs, I've given thirty years of my life to em. You're very kind, I murmured. Far from it, I assure you. I can meet you next Saturday afternoon anywhere in London you choose to name, and I'll be only too happy to motor you down. It ought to be a delightful run at this time of the year. The rhododendrons will be out. I mean it. You don't know how truly I mean it. Very probably it won't affect you at all, and I think I may say I have the finest connection of narwhal tusks in the world. All the best skins and horns have to go through London, and L. Maxwell MacLeod. He knows where they come from and where they go to. That's his business. For the rest of the voyage up Channel, Mister MacLeod talked to me of the assembling, preparation, and sale of the rare furs, and told me things about the manufacture of fur-lined coats which quite shocked me. Somehow or other, when we landed on Wednesday. I found myself pledged to spend that weekend with him at Holmescroft. On Saturday, he met me with a well-groomed motor and ran me out in an hour and a half to an exclusive residential district of dustless roads and elegantly designed country villas, each standing in from three to five acres of perfectly appointed land. He told me land was selling at eight hundred pounds the acre, and the new golf links, whose Queen Anne pavilion we passed. Had cost nearly twenty-four thousand pounds to create. Holmescroft was a large, two-storied, low, creeper-covered residence. A veranda on the south side gave onto a garden and two tennis courts, separated by a tasteful iron fence from a most park-like meadow of five or six acres, where two Jersey cows grazed. Tea was ready in the shade of a promising copper beech. And I could see groups on the lawn of young men and maidens, appropriately clothed, playing lawn tennis in the sunshine. A pretty scene, ain't it? Said Mister MacLeod. My good lady's sitting under the tree, and that's my girl in pink on the far court. But I'll take you to your room, and you can see 'em all later. He led me through a wide parquet-floored hall, furnished in pale lemon with huge cloisonne vases. An ebonized and gold grand piano, and banks of pot flowers in Benares brass bowls, up a pale oak staircase to a spacious landing where there was a green velvet settee trimmed with silver. The blinds were down, and the light lay in parallel lines on the floors. He showed me my room, saying cheerfully, "You may be a little tired. One often is without knowing it after a run through traffic. Don't come down till you feel quite restored." We shall all be in the garden. My room was rather close and smelt of perfumed soap. I threw up the window at once, but it opened so close to the floor and worked so clumsily that I came within an ace of pitching out, where I should certainly have ruined a rather lopsided laburnum below. As I set about washing off the journey's dust, I began to feel a little tired. But I reflected I had not come down here in this weather and among these new surroundings to be depressed, so I began to whistle. And it was just then that I was aware of a little grey shadow, as it might have been a snowflake seen against the light, floating at an immense distance in the background of my brain. It annoyed me, and I shook my head to get rid of it. Then my brain telegraphed that it was the forerunner of a swift striding gloom. 
which there was yet time to escape if I would force my thoughts away from it, as a man leaping for life forces his body forward and away from the fall of a wall. But the gloom overtook me before I could take in the meaning of the message. I moved toward the bed, every nerve already aching with the foreknowledge of the pain that was to be dealt it, and sat down while my amazed and angry soul dropped gulf by gulf into that horror of great darkness which is spoken of in the Bible, and which, as auctioneers say, must be experienced to be appreciated. Despair upon despair, misery upon misery, fear after fear, each causing their distinct and separate woe, packed in upon me for an unrecorded length of time, until at last they all blurred together, and I heard a click in my brain, like the click in the ear when one descends in a diving bell, and I knew that the pressures were...